So I'm going to talk to you this morning, and, and, and I have a lot, so I'm just going to get into it really fast. I want to talk to you about something that has become, that is in this house, if you've been coming to this church for a while, that you know that this is a, a very, very important thing to us, um, and, and that it's something that has become very important in my life over the last few years, and over the last, I would say, three or four months, it's, it's even amplified even more, um, and it's something that, that, that God has just teaching me and dealing with me, and, and I just felt led um, to preach this week and, and maybe next week about this idea, and this wasn't something that was on the preaching counter, it wasn't something that we planned, but it was just something that the Lord just laid heavily in my heart, and so I want to I teach it, and I want to talk about it, and w- what I want to talk about just for this week and maybe next week is the presence of God, the presence of God. The presence of God um, is just an absolutely amazing thing, and, 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 and before we, we get too far into it, I want to say this. I think that the presence of God is something that has been left behind in the majority of modern American churches, the presence of God, the true presence of God, and, and I want to clarify really fast so we're all on the same page. Now, there is, you know, God is an amazing God. And if we get all the, the most brilliant minds of this planet together in the same room and they begin to theorize or imagine uh, how great our God really is, they could not even begin to fathom it. That's how great our God is. He's, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and he's omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere and anywhere at all times. Like he's, he's here, David says in the Psalms, that there's not a mountain that you can get to high enough or a cave that you can get to deep enough that you'll escape the presence of God. He's, he's everywhere. Everywhere and anywhere. He's, he's, he's here on this planet and to the ever extent of the universe, he's there too. He's an omnipresent God. Does that make sense? We get that. He's God. But then there, there, is, a, there is another a presence of God that people have labeled the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God. And this is that, that thing that and we love hearing this. And I, I hear it more than anything else. Um, I hear it more than, hey, the messages were good. I hear it more than, hey, the worship was phenomenal. I hear it more than, than anything else. What I hear is that when people come in here, they say, we just, I've just never felt the presence of God like I felt it there. And my, my favorite thing is when, when unchurched people come in and, and they, they, they don't go to church and they've not really experienced much of church and, or it's been years and years and years since they've been in any, any church and they come in and they say, I really don't know what to say other than I just felt this thing I never felt before and I'm definitely coming back. Don't remember what the world the message was about. Don't remember any of the songs, but I just sat there and bawled in my seat for an hour and it was amazing and I want to come back. And I'm like, that was God. It's the presence of God. And and in and, and the manifest presence of God, and this is just about the only way that, that I was trying to think of a way to explain this um, to you in a way you get it. And, and, and any time I get a chance to, uh, to use him, I just use him because he's, he's, he was one of my childhood heroes. I still think he's amazing. And, uh, and LeBron, I love LeBron. LeBron, I got nothing on MJ, man, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player on the planet. All right? Um, I, I just, I know that there's some people who have horrible memories and are too young to remember uh, the greatness that was Michael Jordan, um, but he was great. And we get the honor of him living just a few miles down the road and, and um, not quite the owner that he was the player, but we're really praying for him, hoping that he can get the act together. And uh, it's good to see the Hornets won a few games this year. That was better than not winning any like the year before. Um, but if, if Michael Jordan were for some reason to hop in his Porsche or Lamborghini or whatever that he may drive, and he drove down, and it was just, I don't know, God's sovereignty. He just said, hey, you know, look at that church. Pursuit, I think I'm going to go ha- hang out with them at 1030. Uh, first, I would have a hard time preaching because it's Michael Jordan. And, um, and wrong or right, 
I've never got to shake his hand, um, but he, I would be the guy that gets like thrown away by the security and shot because I would lose, run towards him and just try to just, just touch just touch him or get him to hold the basketball, and then I would go home and put that in a safe. But if Michael Jordan were to just show up here and he, he were to be in, the, in this place, then, then his presence, would, he would be with us. He would be in the room. Does that make sense? Michael Jordan's here, and everybody, everybody, since he's probably a good bit taller than everybody else here, probably wouldn't have any problems seeing him. But if he came in here and, and we said, hey, Michael Jordan was with us, he was with us on Sunday, and, and he was there, then Michael Jordan's here, his presence is here, he's in this room, he's, he's cool, he's there, he's hanging out, he's doing his thing, maybe he wants to ask me to play one-on-one, I don't know, but, but he comes up, and he's in the room. And, but, if, but maybe not everybody sees him. Maybe not every, they just hear about him. People are whispering, and, and they're like, Michael Jordan's in the room. Michael Jordan's in the room. And, and, and maybe we don't, we don't see him. But then if, if, then if just in the middle, and I'm just saying, who knows? Maybe that's what I, If in the middle of the message, and he just stands up and starts walking up here and shaking people's hands. And, and then comes up and gives me a hug and just says, hey, Jordan, I just want you to know you're doing a great job. And do you mind if I say a few words? I'm like, yeah, I, of course, Michael Jordan. So, and so he just comes up and he starts talking to you and he starts shaking his hands. He starts shaking your hands and, you know, doing, doing that deal. So what the difference is, is that if he was just here sitting amongst us, then he's just, he's here. Does that make sense? He's here. But then if he gets up and he starts walking down the aisles, he starts shaking your hand. He's manifesting his presence. He's letting you know that I'm in the building. Does that make sense? There's a di- so you can, be, you can be in the presence of someone, but then not shake their hand, maybe not even see them, but you just know that they're there. And then he, they could shake your hand, touch you, make you know, talk to you, and in some way they, they make themselves known. That's what manifest presence is. There are times when God uh, makes himself known in a very real, in a very tangible way, and we call that the manifest presence of God. It's when God, he's everywhere at all times, but there are times that we feel him tangibly. We feel this feeling, we feel this peace, we feel this comfort. Sometimes there's goosebumps on ours, sometimes the hair on the back of your neck stands up. Sometimes you just, there's several of the most powerful moments that I've had with God when I was truly just lost in his presence. I just cried continuously until there were literally no more tears in my body. It's a very real thing. It's not a philosophical idea. The presence of God is real. And this is the thing is that I think that the American church, many times they've forgotten that we serve a living God. He's a living God. He's not a God that is a puppeteer that hangs out up in heaven, that he's a living God. And from day one, if you ever read through Genesis, it was his idea to create the world so that he could come down in his full presence and walk and be with Adam and Eve and hang out with his creation. It's God's desire to be with us, for his presence to be with us. Does that make sense? There's a manifest presence of God. He wants to make himself known. He wants to spend time with you. And and this is the thing that, that I think that we forget the most about the presence of God is that we get so lost in, 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 in sin. We get so lost in the idea of sin and the idea of, of Jesus Christ on the cross eliminating sin that we forget why he had to eliminate sin to begin with. Everybody gets so focused on what I call getting right with God that they forget that the reason that we had to get right with God is so that we could be with God. Right? See, we get, and and again, in this modern American, the way that we present the gospel so much of the time is that you need to get right with God so that when you die, you don't go to hell. But it was never about not going to hell, and it wasn't even really about the sin or getting right with God. It was a get, get right with God so that you could spend time with God, so that you could be with God, so that you could be in his presence, so that you could walk with him and talk with him and know him in the same way that you know other people. See, we forget that. 
Why? Why do we forget that? Because that's something that's deeply spiritual. It's different. And we, it's so much easier to be religious. It's so much easier to just come to church. It's so much easier to just try to attempt to follow some rules. It's so much easier to just do some quiet times and a few devotionals than it is to understand that our God is a living God and he didn't just die so that we could get right with him for the sake of getting right with him, but we, he died so that we could get right with him so that we could be with him in this life and in the next. It's a manifest presence of God. It's a real thing. It's a tangible thing. It's something that you feel and you know. It's amazing. And if you ever see it with your own eyes, like for real, you see it with your own eyes, just don't tell anybody. Because I just imagine that that would be terrifying. There's only a few things in Scripture where we see where God made himself known to that extent. And even he told Moses, he said, I can't, I can't let you see me totally because it would kill you. He's, that's how great his presence is. That's how great God is. But he makes himself known in a very real way. And I want, to, I want to show you just a few things this morning about the presence of God. And, and to reiterate my point right now, I, I, I want you to think back. If, if you've ever read through um, the Exodus and, and, and the first few books of the Bible, and you see that God um, set the people of Israel, they were, they were enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. And, and God sent Moses and performed a lot of amazing miracles. And it's an extremely exciting part of the Bible. If you don't read the Bible much or you've never really read the Bible, it's a great place to start just to see the greatness of God. And, and, and he basically sends Moses to take on Pharaoh, the, you know, the, greatest, the leader of the greatest nation in the world. And, and he, he says that you know, we're going to set the people free. We're going to cross the Red Sea. God takes care of the army. And they, they get into the desert. And they're on their way to Canaan or the Promised Land. And, and God says, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to lead you. And, and well, my presence is going to be with you. And, and we're going to go to Canaan, and it's going to be amazing. But then people of Israel, they started to do what people do sometimes, and they totally, uh, after all the miracles, all the blessings, all the provision, all the clarity, all the, the promises, after all the great things that God had done, um, they, didn't, they, they, they didn't get a, as much meat as they wanted. Like, they wanted some meat. And so despite all that they'd done, they started to complain heavily about meat, heavily about this and heavily about that until they negated all the positives and, and they just started complaining and complaining and complaining until they basically just annoyed God to a great extent. And, and, and you don't want to annoy God. I just feel like annoying God is just not a smart thing to do. It's just not. I mean, and, and he kind of goes to Moses and says, listen, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of them. They just complain no matter what I do. They just complain, complain. They just find something to complain about. And he says, so here's the deal. You just get the people, you lead them, I'll make sure you get there, just go to Canaan, but I'm not going to go with you. That's what God says to Moses. See, I'm not, my presence isn't going to go with you. And then Moses has one of the most powerful conversations any human being has ever had with God. And he said, okay, well, then I'm not going anywhere then. He said, God, let me tell you something. I, I don't care if we make it there. I don't care if we get the blessings. I don't care if we get the promise. I don't care if we make it. I don't care if we're victorious. If you do not, literally it says, if your presence does not go with us, then don't even kill me right here, right now. Let me die in this place because I am not going to do this, cannot do this, will not do this without your presence. Does that make sense? The presence is a very real and very powerful thing. And so, and I want you to know this. I want you to know that despite whether or not you even believe me in this moment or you desire this in this moment, I promise you that, that the deepest part of who you are desires to be within the presence of God more than you desire anything else, even if you aren't aware of that. Because it's within the presence of God that you experience a satisfaction and a peace that you 
physically in no way, shape, or form can duplicate or fake or experience anywhere else through any other thing. There's nothing you can accomplish, nothing you can gain, no amount of money, no job, no career. There's nothing that you can have in this life or experience in this life or walk in in this life that will give you as much satisfaction, peace, comfort, and just genuine joy than being within the presence of God. I promise you. And so I want to spend a few minutes talking about how to get into the presence of God. And I'm going to ask you this question, and I want you to think about it. And I'm going to answer it now, but I'm going to answer it throughout today and next week. And this is this. Can you live, truly live, walk in, daily walk in, in a very real and practical way, live in the presence of God? Obviously, the answer is yes, or I wouldn't be preaching this. But I want, to, I want you to ask your heart and your mind this question. Have you ever truly desired to be with God on that intimate level before? Have you ever just, just desired in your heart, as David wrote so many times in the Psalms, I just want to be in your presence. I just want to walk in your presence. I just want to live in your presence. Is this a desire in your life? Think about it. The presence of God ultimately is the reason why Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could be in the presence of God now and forever. That was the point. There was a concept, I think, that has gotten so manipulated in the modern American church that, that has gotten so twisted and so watered down that it makes it almost impossible for many people to hear or see or know truly that they can live in the presence of God and walk in the presence of God every day. And so I just want to read two scriptures really fast that, that will show you there's several ways to get into the presence of God, but there is one primary way. And I want to show you this really fast. It's just two scriptures. There's, there's multiple scriptures. This is Psalm 95, 1 through 2. I'm just going to read through them quick. This is David writing, more than likely, he says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. I'm going to read it one more time. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. That's Psalm 95, 1 through 2. Now Psalm 100, also 1 through 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with what? Singing. All right, let's just read both of them again. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Come, let us what? Sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Ultimately, we enter into the presence of God through worship. Through worship through praise, 
through giving God honor, giving God glory, through worshiping Him. Worship simply means you've decided in your mind and in your heart what is worthy to be praised. And this is the thing that, that every ounce of humanity, every kingdom, every nation, every tribe, uh, from cavemen all the way up to modern society, there is one unanimous thing that exists within every single tribe. The one thing that unites all races, uh, all nationalities, all continents, all cultures of everywhere, modern and ancient times, is this. Every single one of them decided in one way or another that there was something higher than them and they are going to worship it. Right? Every single culture. Every, you go through, you study every single one. Even if, they, if nothing was made known to them, they would make something up. They would come and they would get a rock. And they would chip away at the rock. And they would put the rock up on an altar and they would bow down and they would worship the rock. Or they would take a tree and they would cut it and they would carve it and they would make something and then they would worship it. They, picked, they made up gods. Made up gods. Just made up gods. Worship the sun. Worship the moon. They would, they would go and find a human being and say, you're our God. Let us worship you. Let us serve you. You ever thought about that? You go through, did anybody, now this is a tough question, did anybody remember or pay attention to anything in like ninth grade history or sociology? One person. Two people. You're a teacher. That doesn't count. <laughs> All right, part of this thing, like they, they went and you go through and you study all these tribes and all these things, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter whether it was it didn't, where they're from or what, or what the, the ethnic background is or what it was, they would find something or something and they would just worship it. And here's why. Because that gene, whatever that is, that, that thing, that is something that God put in us. Solomon writes that God put within man's heart, within woman's heart, within people's heart, the idea of eternity. He placed within you so that you know in your heart and your mind, whether you ever come to know the God, the true God, the real God, that there is something greater than you and there's something inside of you that wants to find something and worship it. Period. There's something you want to commit your life to. You want to go. That's just the reality of what it is. In these day and age, we still have idols in the same way that, that we make. We look on the tribes and we laugh at them because they made a rock an idol and they make, they make a, a stick an idol and they make some man an idol. But you do the same thing by picking up the dollar bill and saying, this is the thing to worship. This is the thing to live for. This is the thing to work for. This is what it's all about. This is my provision. This, if I have enough of this, everything's going to be okay. This is what I, every day, this is what I'm working for. This is what I need. This is what I want. It's the dollar bill there's an absolute total complete idol in this in this new age there's all kinds of religion all kinds of different things you just give your life to that's a part of who you are here's the thing you know how to worship you know how to worship you know how to give praise you know how to give honor it's just that you give it to so many other things other than the one being that it's truly meant for you worship yourself you serve yourself? Dude, I have seen people who, oh, it's not my personality. So I worship quietly. It's not my, I sip on my coffee and I watch the words and I, it's just not in my personality to be loud. Their football team scores and, woo! Woo! Ah! I've seen people that it's not their personality. Take off their shirt, spray paint their body and run around a football field. But it's just, it's not my personality. I just don't. Don't do it like that. Right? Dude, we, you, I'm telling you, you know how to praise. You know how to give God glory. You know how to worship. 
And you worship whether you realize it or not. It's just many of us, we're not worshiping God. We're not serving God on that level. We're not praising God on that level because it's weird. It's, it's weird. It's weird to clap for God. It's weird to come in and, and shut our eyes and lift our hands and just tell God how great he is. I just, it's just, I just didn't grow up like that. It's just not, we just, it's just not who we were. It's not a part of my denomination. It's just not part of, it's just not what we are. We like the, we, what's the thing? The organ? What the heck is an organ? Like if it's played at a funeral, man, I don't know that it should be a part of like worshiping God. I just, if you go back and I love when people, they tell me all kinds of random lies and nonsense. It's just, worship should be, it should be reverent. It should be quiet. Why don't you read the Bible? Why don't you read the Bible when it says, come loud, bang the instruments, bang the cymbals. Come loud with sing. Come loud with thanksgiving. Come loud. Become great. Worship God. Come. He's worthy. He's worthy of it. That's just, we got to be reverent. That's just not in my nature. When they were moving the presence of God, it said that David the king, who by I had accomplished more things than all of us put together in his one little lifetime, that he danced before the presence of God as they moved so much that it embarrassed his wife. I mean, think about that. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to start breaking out dancing in here. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that, listen, that worship is this. And I want you to write, worship is always expressive. It's always expressive. From Genesis to Revelation, it's expressive. Now, you're not being your personality to express it to God, but it's in your personality to express it to everything else this culture has to offer. Right? Dude, I can't, I, Beyonce, good singer, whatever. Dude, she gets pregnant, world lost his mind. They're like, oh my God, Beyonce's having a baby. What the heck are you talking about, man? She's just a woman. Dude, we get so excited, dude. People post on Facebook, can you believe it? Beyonce's having a baby. I mean, wouldn't post scripture at all, but want the world to know Beyonce's right. Everybody, there's some people just, oh. yeah, I saw it on your Facebook. I normally don't use things to just tell people, but I did see that. And I want to throw that in there. That's dumb. <laughs> All right? Dude, we get so excited about the dumbest, dumbest, dumbest stuff, dude. I mean, and like, and we just, do we just get pumped about, do you realize the number one, the number one thing in this country that involves billions of dollars is, is, is grown men wearing tights, holding a ball made of pigskin, and they throw it back and forth to each other. You know what I'm talking about? Football. Dude, I'm not that, dude it's a, it, it is a, I mean, we should go and study fans of football on how to worship. Because they kill the church when it comes to worshiping. Think about it. Dude, would one of you guys wear like a, 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 a come in and just paint your body? Walk in the church and just come up here and just worship God because you're so excited about the presence of God. You're so excited for what God has done and you just, you want to glorify him? For the record, please don't do that. You see what I'm saying though? You get where I'm going? Dude, we worship all the time. We just don't worship God. And this is why many of us, the one day a week when we come into church, and it's a safe place, and we begin to sing and worship. And every now and then, you break into it, and you just you get you get a little bit free, and you're just like, well, he's raising his hand, so I'll just I'll raise. Uh. 
And like, and you just, and you start singing at first, you're like, and then you just start getting more comfortable. And you're like, okay, this church isn't a Baptist church, so maybe we can sing loud and just, okay, let's go. Maybe, lifting of the hands. Okay, we can do that here? Okay, I like that. Let's just, we can, we can do that. Lift the hands up. Lift the hands up to God. Close our eyes and sing. And we, 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 you start to get comfortable, even if you didn't grow up in it. And, you just, and then all of a sudden, one day, you have a moment that changes your life for the rest of your life. You have that moment when you cross over, when you set yourself free, and you just begin to worship God in your own way. You just begin to worship God in His presence, and you feel His presence. And then you just keep coming back, and you just keep coming back, and you just keep coming back. That I'll never forget the first time I was, I was alone in a church, not far from this place. And it was in the middle of the night, and I had a little bit of music on. It was pitch black dark, and I had never really, wor- I truly worshipped God. And, and I just started to sing, and I, just, and, I re- and I remember the feeling when I started to turn my heart over to God. I remember the presence. I remember the feeling that came down, and it literally shattered every ounce of who I am. And I decided from that moment on, whatever just happened, I wanted to have that forever. Once you feel it once, it's not something that you run away from. It's something that you hunger for. And what you'll get to learn is that the more that you worship and the more that you experience the presence of God, the less affection you will show this world. There was a time when I thought that football and basketball, I mean, that was what we lived for. That was what it was for the first 18 years of my life. I want some form of competition, some form of, but the older that I get, the closer I get to God, the more time I worship in and spend in his presence, the less that means to me. To this point, there's almost nothing in this planet I would not sacrifice immediately to be back into the presence of a living God. Because when you experience it, you just keep coming back. When you feel it, you just keep coming back. That's why we can be horrible at worship. I can preach a horrible message, but you feel the presence of God, and you just keep coming back, and you don't even know why. Makes being a preacher pretty easy when God's here. Because the book, man, preacher's horrible. But God's there, so that's where we go. It's worship. Worship. It's how you enter into the presence of God. The problem is, is that even those of us that worship many times, it's just Sunday morning when you feel the presence. It's just Sunday morning when you worship. I'm going to take you back to my question. How do you get into the presence of God? How do you live in the presence of God? Well, the answer is still worship. And I want to show you this. In Romans 12.1, I want you to read this with me. I want you to read it slow. Romans 12.1, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, what? Worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's unique to me uh, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Where it says this is your true and proper, there's actually one word there in the Hebrew, and it's, a, it's difficult um, to, to say just to say that outright in the English language, and so this is very accurate. I mean, it's your true and proper worship, but the actual word literally means logical. 
divine logic is what the, the actual word legitimately means through definition. And the concept is this, as Paul's writing this, because he spends the first 11 chapters of Romans talking about starting with, hey, you're a sinner, you rejected God, everyone's fallen short of the glory of God, everybody needs the blood of Jesus Christ, everybody's in need of grace, and then he walks through all that Jesus did for us, all that Jesus did on the cross, that God sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was to infill our lives and save us and convict us and teach us, and that we would, we would live in this, and that there we are, we're dead to sins, and we're dead to this world, and now we're alive in Christ, and it goes through all the, all the amazing things that God has done, from creating us, to saving us, to filling us with His Spirit, so that we can live alive in Christ, to find true life in Christ, which is, and, and be able to pursue true life in Christ. So that's the first 11 chapters, right? You're alive because God breathed life into you. If you're saved, you're saved because Jesus Christ died for you. If, if you have power and authority to, to negate the sin in your life, it's because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. The, all these blessings, all these things that God has done, and then they get to 12.1, and Paul, the word that Paul used that God speaks through Paul, it says it's only logical to God that you would now give him everything that you are. Because you breathe, because he gave you breath. Any talent you have, you have because he gave it to you. Any thought you have in your brain, it's because he gave you a brain. The fact that you are not going to hell, and now that you have the right and the, the confidence to approach a living God who created the universe, you have that because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. You now have the ability to walk out of a life of sin and into a life of holiness before God because the Spirit of God now inhabits your life. All of these things are happening, and to God, it just makes divine, logical sense that you would now offer everything you are to Him. Makes pretty, pretty logical sense to me. And I don't need to be God to figure that out. Here's the thing. If you believe what you say you believe about God, why on earth would you not lay down every ounce of who you are to the God who created you, saved you, filled you, and has a home blessed for you in eternity? Why would you not? Why would you not give him everything? He says in, in view of everything that he's done, in view of the grace and the mercy and the sacrifice, in view of it all, he said, I urge you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your divinely logical, true, and proper worship to God. The reason why many of us are great at religion and don't know God on this level is because you have not ever truly laid down your life as a living sacrifice to the God who created you. For clarity, you can be saved. You can be saved. Live this life. Die, go to heaven forever. And never experience the true presence of God. And never lay your life down as a living sacrifice. And you will be what I call consumer Christians. I'll take anything God wants to give me for free and then I'm going to take everything and I'm going to go out to this world and I'm going to do the thing that I want to do. Right? Right? Come on. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. Do you understand the term living sacrifice? Do you know what a sacrifice is? That means that you lay down your life 
everything that you possess, everything that you have, every thought in your head, every word that comes out of your mouth, every action that takes place in your life, every ounce of resource, your marriage, your family, your children, your house, everything that you possess, everything that you are, and you lay it down, every gift, every talent, every ability, and you lay it down on the altar of God, and you say, for your glory, for your honor, take everything from me. As long as I live, I will breathe your praise. I will live out your righteousness. I will honor you and glorify you with everything. Take it for your glory. Right? A living sacrifice means that you say, I am yours. Let your will be done in my life, no matter what that looks like. You want me to go left, I'll go left. You want me to go right, I'll go right. You want me to live for 100 years and serve you? You want me to die in Africa being a missionary? Whatever it may be, I want to give you my life. Take supreme control of it. Use every word, every breath for your honor, for your glory. It's yours. I'm no longer myself. It's yours. I get it, God. You're the great creator. You're holy and amazing. You're majestic king. There's nothing else in this earth worth living for other than you. So take every ounce of who I am, God. Take every ounce of it. I don't need to live for money. If I live in a box, but I have your glory, that's all I need, that's all I want. Right? If I don't get my dreams, if I don't get my house on the lake, if I don't get my Porsche, if I don't get to meet Michael Jordan, whatever it may be, whatever it may be, if I'm living for your glory, if every word that comes from my mouth gives you honor, if every action that you set me to gives you honor, gives you glory, let it be. That's different. That's different than religion. That's different than going to church. That's different than following the rules. That's different. What I'm about to preach it's going to be very, very, very difficult for many of you to hear. Very difficult. My prayer has been all week that God's Spirit will break through the hardness of your heart and tear down the walls of religion in your life so that you can hear me with a clean mind. Some of you believe and are under the unbiblical impression that God will accept some of your worship and accept some of your sacrifice and accept some of your time and accept some of your talent and accept some of your ability and accept some of your resource. As long as you give, even if you withhold 99% of it, you think, I'm just, I'm doing a little bit, I'm giving you, and you think that God is pleased with that. I want you to understand and know, and we're about to read, I want you to understand and know, God does not accept anything unless it is worthy of him. See, in your human mind, you think that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, but you're not. And you think that you can dictate and choose what you give to God, but you can't. You think that in your supreme sovereignty that you can, you can decide what's good enough for God, but you don't get to decide what's good enough for God. God decides what is good enough for God. Right? Otherwise, He's not God. 
and you think in your mind, well, I can just do this, and I can just do that, and I can, I can just live here, and I can just kind of do this, and I can just give a little bit, and I can just submit a little bit, and I can just surrender a little bit, and I can just do this, but I can still have all this in my life. And my point to you and what we're about to read is that there's a good chance not only is he not taking some of it, he's not taking any of it, you're not pleasing him, and, and, and you also might be infuriating him because he's a great God of all gods and he's worthy of everything. And you think you can dismantle him and insult him by giving him just a little bit of your life because you're holy and great and, and you can't do that. And we're just going to go to Malachi. Malachi 1, 6 through 12. I want to read this slowly. This is God speaking to his people. And I might add something. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. After the, God spoke through the prophet Malachi to his people, God went silent for 400 years because of the great wrongs that they would not fix. I believe there's a power in this conversation. I believe that God is silent in many of your lives because a lot of what's going on in Malachi is going on in your life. Make sense? So let's just read this together. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. This is God speaking. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? God responds, you place defiled food on my altar. But you ask in your heart, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring, listen, blind animals for sacrifice, is this not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious to us. This is what they're saying. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he, talking about God, accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. Listen. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name, listen, will be great among the nations. From the rising of the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my, to the, to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Listen to this. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Taylor, you go ahead and come up here. So I, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. The, the thing that's happening 
with the people right now is that they are bringing to God diseased animals, broken animals. They're bringing to God things that don't cost them anything. They have good things. They have real things. They have things that are holy. They have, they have strong things. They have, they have, but they're, they're keeping them for themselves and they're using them for themselves. And what they're bringing to God is crippled and diseased animals. Does that make sense? Are we on the same page? So what is happening is that God's coming down to the people and he's saying, I, I want you to understand something. In your heart and in your mind, you say that I'm a great God. But when you come to worship me, or when you come to sac- when you come to, to give to me in honor and glory and praise, you're cheating me out of the best of you. You're cheating me out of the best of you. He says, Why don't, if you were to take these same things, and you were to go give them to your governor, would he accept them? Then why would I? He says, if, if, if I'm your father, where's my respect? If I'm truly your great God and your great creator, where's my glory? If you truly believe that I created you and saved you and filled you and blessed you and, and have prepared a place for you on the other side of death, if you believe all these things, then, then where is my glory? Where is my honor? Where is the, the living sacrifice? Why are you withholding so much? And then he makes a statement. He says, I wish that you guys would just close the door. I wish that you would just close it. I wish that you would not even pretend to come and, 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 and try to lie to me and try to cheat me. I would rather you just close the doors to the temple, just ignore me completely, rather than try to come and insult me by giving me lies, by cheating me out of what's best. Does that make sense? You guys with me? And this is what we do to God. Go back to Romans. This is what we do to God. We read through the first chap- the first 11 chapters, and we, we say, God's creator. God's amazing. God's the God of all gods. God's the, he's the creator of the universe. He's breathed life into me. He's, he's the savior of the world. He, he's, the Holy Spirit is the thing that, that capsulates us and gives us victory. And all these things are true. And, we, and we, now we can pursue life in Christ, and we can be alive in God, and we can do all these things. And, and because of all this, we, we want to give God a, be a living sacrifice to God. But then we don't give him almost nothing. And if you think I'm talking about finances, I, I care less about finances right now. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your energy. I'm talking about your talents. I'm talking about your abilities. As God said, what if you gave your boss the same energy and time that you give God? How long would you have a job? What if you gave, what if you gave your hobbies and the things that you want to excel at? What if you gave them the same energy, the same time, the same sacrifice that you give God? Really, what if the time that you give God, the energy that you give God, the glory that you give God, the honor that you give God, if you were to ball that up and then give it to your hobby or give it to your TV show or give it to your boss, as stupid as that sentence sounds, many of us do that. Spend more time with fake TV shows than we do with the presence of a living God. But that's the reality of where we are. If you were to do that, how good would you be at your hobby? How long would you have a job? Most of us would be fired in a day. So what we're doing is we're saying, yeah, we believe God is great. And we're willing to come in and sacrifice a whole hour and a half on Sundays to spend time with Him. 
He's the creator of the universe. He breathed life into us. We live because he gave us life. He filled us with his spirit. We're saved because he saved us. He sacrificed his son on the cross. And man, we do go to church once a week. Let's show them how, how much we love. We, we do two or three minute devotionals. Slap ourselves on the back, check it off the checklist, and then go give the world the rest of our time. God's point to Malachi and to the people that day, and I believe to people from beginning of the earth to the end of the earth, is this. I am a great and mighty God. I am a great and mighty King. I am truly the creator of everything that you see and know. And I am worthy of every ounce of your life. I'm worthy of every thought that you have. I'm worthy of every word that comes out of your mouth. I'm worthy of every action. I'm worthy of every second. I'm worthy of your entire being. Everything you know, everything you are, everything you have. I am worthy of it. And I'm a great and mighty king. And I will accept what I'm worthy of. Or I won't accept it at all. That makes sense? Many of us, because we've given ourselves over to the heart of religion, we are cheating God out of what is rightfully His. We're dishonoring Him every day that we give the world, the culture, ourselves more than we give God. God's glory might not be important to you, but God's glory is important to God. Do you remember in Revelations, do you remember in Revelations where he goes to the church of Laodicea? It's a famous scripture. If you grew up in church, you've heard it. Where he comes and he says, listen, I got this thing against you. You're not really passionate for me. You're not really hot for me. You're not, you're not really getting, you're, you're not really cold. You kind of say you believe it, but you're just kind of riding that middle road. You remember this? He said, I would rather you be hot for me or cold for me. I would rather you be passionate for me or just ignore me altogether. I would rather you, if you say you believe what you believe, give everything to me or give me nothing. He says, because those of you that ride down the middle of the road, what, what was his response? I'm going to spew you out. It makes me want to vomit. Right? Like, don't you understand? There's nothing greater on this planet than God nothing worth living for more than God. There's nothing worth giving your time to more than God. There's nothing. There's nothing. See, there's, this, there's, a, there's a two or three little scripture verse in, in Acts. I think it's in Acts 12. And Herod is the king, and he began to come to the people, and they were having this big meeting, and, and Herod apparently gave this great speech about how awesome he was. I don't know. And the people began to chant, this is not the words of a man, but the words of a God. Herod and the Bible says that because Herod in that moment that key moment in history did not give honor and praise to God the spirit killed him right go read it it's in there here's my point God takes his glory very serious far more serious than the modern American church does he breathed life into you. He saved you. He's filled you. He's blessed you. 
And as Paul says, I'm saying, God's saying, I urge you, lay down your lives as living sacrifices. Worship me. Honor me. Give me glory. Give me honor. And if we do that, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know, I know me preaching about God killing somebody because he didn't give him glory is kind of a not a Sunday morning message. Although it's true. But here's the thing. Yes, many of you are cheating God out of what is his. But you are cheating yourselves out of the greatness that God has called you for. You're cheating yourselves out of the presence of God. You're cheating yourselves out of the blessing. You're cheating yourself. Yes, you're cheating God. Yes, it angers Him. Yes, it, He's not pleased with it. But on the other side of it, you are cheating yourself. You're costing yourself some of the greatest experiences that you will ever have in this lifetime with God. You're costing yourself, and we'll talk about this more last week, next week, you're costing yourself the will of God in your life. That's a promise. You're costing yourself the purpose that God created you for. God will not use what will not give him glory. Here. So this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want us to worship. The lights are going to go dark. The band's going to play. If you didn't like the message, you don't want to participate, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and leave. But for those that stay, I want you to worship him. I want you to sing praises into his name. I want you to lift your hands high. I want you to surrender yourself and surrender your life to the God who is worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. I want you to contemplate in your heart and in your mind, have you laid down your life as a living sacrifice in view of all the great things that God has done for you? Do you recognize in your human brain that there is only one God, Yahweh of the Bible? the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, and there's nothing in this life worth living for more than the greatness of God. That he does not just deserve most, there is not another human being, another thing, another nation, another king that deserves one ounce of praise, one ounce of glory, one ounce of credit, one ounce of sacrifice or worship over God. It's not that he needs most of it, he needs all of it. He needs every ounce of it. He needs every ounce, every thought, every word, every part of who we are belongs to God. It's just up to you to walk in obedience and surrender it to him. Many of you, you ask, I want to know God. I want to feel God. I want the blessings of God. I want that purpose you're always preaching about. The reason why it's not in your life is because he's waiting on you to recognize that he is King God Almighty and he's worthy of every ounce of who you are until you are willing and ready to lay down every breath, word, thought, action on the altar as a living sacrifice saying, God, your will be done in my life. Take me if I die tomorrow or live a hundred years, whatever it may be. I want to live for your honor. I want to live for your glory. He's waiting on that moment for you. And until you humble yourself before God, repent of your sins, repent of the glory that you've stolen from Him, repent of what you've cheated Him, and you lay it down before God, and you begin to worship Him and praise Him in the way that He is worthy to be worshipped and praised, then God will not be pleased with us.